Welcome to Live Well, Be Well podcast with your host, Sarah Ann Macklin, and brought to you by the not-for-profit mental health organization, The Be Well Collective. This podcast aims to bring you nutritional insight and mental health awareness through people's own personal journeys and health professionals' evidence-based advice to guide you on your own journey. Welcome everyone to the last episode in season four of Live Well, Be Well. Now today to finish off this season um, and the last episode, I have got a fantastic dietitian with many years experience into food sustainability. Following on from last week's episode with George Lamb about he is helping shape, you know, the education of today and the importance of climate change and growing our own food. I thought it was fantastic just to focus a little bit more on how we can all achieve a more sustainable diet. And what does that really mean? And will eating sustainably also be good for our health? There are so many questions within this topic. Because as our population grows from 7 billion to an estimated 9 to 10 billion by 2050, the demand for our food will grow. We need to grow more and this means that we will produce more greenhouse gases. And this ultimately means that we also will have the depletion of our planet's natural resources. So what can we do? What is the scientific evidence saying? Is vegan diets really healthy for the planet? Or, or are they not? You know, Is reducing our meat and dairy consumption going to make huge significant changes? Well, we discuss all today in today's podcast with Louise, the sustainable dietitian, and I can't wait to share it with you all. Welcome, Louise, to Live Well, Be Well. Thank you for coming on and being my guest today. Firstly, how are you? I'm really good, thank you. Um, it's cold and wet outside, but. Um... I'm, I'm feeling good. The weekend's here and it's Christmassy, so yeah, I'm feeling pretty good spirited at the moment. Thanks for asking. Oh, good. Well, I'm going to actually just dive straight on in because I know we've got just under 60 minutes to cover a really, really large topic mm. and one that's been talked about a lot this year. So I'm really glad we're getting you on as an expert to help uncover you know how people can live more sustainably as well as adopting a healthy diet so Mm. could you just give a brief introduction to everyone who's listening on this podcast a little bit about yourself Mm. okay thanks well I um I hate to say I trained in the late 90s now so um I'm quite quite uh quite old now but um it was really interesting at the time the science uh nutritional science is always evolving but if I compare what was going on back then to what's happening now um, in terms of not just sustainability, but but gut health and all sorts of circadian biology, it's really advanced a lot. Um, but I don't know. At the time, I was I was fairly interested in nutrition, and it didn't really ex- excite me that much. And, and at the time, they were short of dietitians. They said you might as well train to be a dietitian. You'll get on a good wage. You'll be able to live in London. So I thought, oh, I'll go for it. <laughs> so I did train to be a clinical dietitian, but it never really um, floated my boat. And as soon as I did my uh, sort of junior um, year at King's College, I went straight into the psychological aspects of eating and worked in an eating disorders unit for five years. Mm -hmm. And I worked alongside psychologists and psychiatrists and doctors. And I did enjoy it. But um, I think, you know, to be fresh and and be invigorated and and, and, um, nourished, I felt it was time to sort of move on from there. Mm. But having said that, I... um, you know, looking back, there were a few things that I can see now triggered my interest in, in food sustainability or, or, or the environment. And that is, um, for example, we used to have like a little kitchen and um, the sort of chef or cook there used to, um, well, we used to buy in these sandwiches and these sandwiches came from Wales. They came in plastic packaging and, and these sandwiches used to come in and obviously the clients, they had really bad, you know, they had issues with food and they couldn't eat the sandwiches or the sandwiches got thrown away. All this plastic was thrown away. Mm. I was just thinking, why, why can't they just make these simple sandwiches up in a kitchen, you know? Yeah. And then we'd have water coolers and people would literally just go to a water cooler with a plastic cup and just chuck it in the bin. And it was like, these, these things were kind of going on and it was really quite 
you know, it's quite frustrating. And yeah. we had a few vegan clients there as well. So that started to get my interest in vegan and vegetarian diets and the ethics around that. And then um, I also became really interested in, you know, um, animal welfare. And I could see in this unit that all these cheap battery eggs used to come in in plastic packaging. And I used to think, oh, if only they could just make the sandwiches in the kitchen, save all this money from all these plastic wrapped sandwiches from Wales, because this was mm. in London, and then spend that saving on high welfare eggs. But then you got into the politics of food and the financial things and, and things that I thought were quite simple were actually quite complicated. But instead of putting me off, I actually got into it more. <laughs> and then the whole sort of environmental ethical side of food did start to increase and in, um, sort of I suppose its platform increased and then I, I managed to eventually find a, a master's in sort of food uh, sustainability and mm. sort of moved from there really. Oh wow okay so now what would you say your your role is now because obviously you're known as a sustainable dietitian but you've worked on a host of projects haven't you? With yes it's, it's been a bit of a bumpy journey because when I did my master's in food sustainability 10 years ago nutrition and food and sustainability were very very much um they weren't linked at all yeah. so my initial projects were really just um, I did a lot of volunteering for environmental charities and then I got positions at Sustain and the National Trust but really a lot of that work was actually trying to raise the profile and say you know the, the what's good for the planet is actually good for our health yeah. um, and that that really was the first first sort of chapter really mm -hmm. and then I went off and had a child and um actually after having Anne by that then I got interested in, in baby nutrition and weaning and then plant-based nutrition and babies and yeah things have just sort of escalated from there but generally now I, I do sort of project work so I do workplace wellness and um, maybe I consult food companies I see individuals I work at community allotment I'm on the BDA sustainable darts committee so that keeps me busy with various yes. projects and web webinars so um, yes and I've also done sort of um, writing for Culinary Medicine UK um, and that's that's basically a platform where they're trying to join um, medical doctors with um, nutrition and well-being and lifestyle medicine so I'm oh, leading fantastic. on the sustainable diets chapter for that so quite, quite a lot of things really. Very busy lady I have to say on very very important topics. Yeah. Thank you for coming today. I So I'm gonna dive straight into we've got so many different areas to cover mm. today as we were just speaking about and I really hope we can cover it all but I guess I want to start with everybody's come much more aware of our population growth mm. and we're currently at seven billion I think we are and we're looked at we're look we're projected to grow to nine to ten billion by 2050 mm. which is quite a lot so as our population grows the demand for our food grows mm. and that means that we need to grow more and produce more uh, food which also means that we end up producing more greenhouse gases mm. and we deplete more of our plants and our planet's natural resources so this plays a huge role obviously in our food system and, and how we look at sustainable diets so could you just really give us and everyone here a brief overview of why do sustainable diets play such a large part in the greenhouse gas emissions because it's not just simply from you know the food that you put on a plate there's a huge food chain behind that and after that as you said with food waste that plays a really large part so it's not just really looking at how you're eating at that time it's obviously there's a larger um funnel here of areas that we we really need to look at to look at how we're adopting a sustainable diet mm, so all the different measures of sustainability is is that what you're interested yes. not just the greenhouse gas well, side yeah, of things because i guess yeah. from looking at you know how our food is produced that also has an effect on our greenhouse gases and looking at how then that is you know how far is that traveling that's also having an impact on our greenhouse absolutely gases. and obviously you know the, the yeah. waste afterwards so it all it all interlinks it all does and i think one of the things that we we have to sort of bear in mind and as the sustainable diets group we we are quite aware of of what quite a negative image farming has yeah. farming this farming that farming is responsible for all these greenhouse gas emissions and actually yes farming is 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 part of the problem but sounds a bit uh, you know cheesy but it, they're also part of the solution as well they are. and i think as you said as our population is increasing we have to produce more food now mm. and we only have a certain amount of um, energy well fossil fuel energy so oil and gas and things like that mm -hmm. and actually before the food is even grown we need a lot of these fossil fuels to um, produce things like um, fertilizers 
through the harbour bosch process so before anything is even harvested that energy is already taken to grow this huge amount of food mm. and then um, once the food is, is grown we have to have pesticides and fungicides and things like that that, that that can destroy can potentially destroy the environment and then the food needs to be collected that requires energy and then it's stored and processed this all requires energy um, and then it needs to be cooked and it, as you said it's transported around the country mm. stored so so even before it's got to the supermarket that there, there could be quite a huge environmental footprint associated associated with that um, and so I think at the moment um, it's, it, it's quite a battle isn't it to work out the, the trade-offs because we all want a nice um, you know we need, need a variety of food to, for people to stay interested in food and stay healthy but at the same time there is quite an environmental consequence to that um, but I would probably say really from, from what the data is showing is that you know 25% of those 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 greenhouse gas emissions are really related to the, the, the production of ruminant meat so that that's beef and lamb mm. and 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 then secondary to that is is dairy at about 15%. So if we can really somehow yes reduce our consumption at the same time that industry um changing the way that they farm to make it more less carbon intensive then that can have the most significant impact at the moment. Yes, there are other things that we can consider, but that that probably is the key thing at the moment. Yeah, that brings me on really nice actually, because the the if anyone hasn't read it, there's a blue top blue dot project which is uh, from the British Dietetic Association, um, and also the Eat Lancet commissioned um, 37 experts from 16 different countries mm. across a range of disciplines, which looked at how we can live and eat more sustainably but they both combine it very much into also helping our health so it's not just how we can we eat sustainably it's also how can we support our health because as we know our, our current health status in the uk um isn't the best i want to mm. say um and there's a lot of work that we need to do to reduce obesity levels um and work on different types of chronic diseases such as cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes and etc etc but that's a another podcast but we can entwine this quite well because it's not just how do we adopt sustainable diet changes but how do we adopt them in a healthy way that's also going to you know help reduce our obesity levels and improve our health status and the blue dot mm. um as you most likely said said increasing our plant-based proteins and reducing our meat and dairy we can actually see a 31 percent reduction in our greenhouse gases mm. um and increasing 17.9 million years of healthy life which i think sounds like a win-win mm. so could you define you know how do we do that how do we go around increasing our you know our our, our optimal health status so i want to say um and also you know living sustainably and helping our planet how do we go around that mm-hmm. yeah that's a really interesting question um and, and i think well one of the one of the basic sort of messages is that um meat and dairy or meat meat keep me to treat really um that uh certainly when i was growing up my mum was sort of just a, a, you know a baby boomer so we always used to have um, meat and fish um, being the central part of the meal. So it'd be central part of lunch and central part of dinner. And then you'd kind of think, oh, well, what, you know, what, what veg will I have with that? Mm. And now actually, um, you know, we, we don't have to think like that. We, we've got enough calories. We've got enough food. And actually, it's, it's really about plant foods um, being the, the cornerstone to the meals. And secondary to that as well, I, what I'm really fascinated by is how much the science has changed. So, you know, if these messages were come out, coming out when I was training in the 90s, all arms would be up and, you know, we'd be up and out, we'd be like, oh, you can't. Because we are worried about iron and we are, we are worried about zinc. And that's because we haven't studied the plant science and the effects of um, plants on health as much as we have now. And now we are more comfortable saying that you don't need to have meat every day and you don't need to have your calcium from dairy every day. I mean, I was brought up on little milk bottles when I was at school yeah. and I used to have in our um, dietetic department, we used to have... Um, you know, calcium information sheets from the British Dairy Council. So, you know, we, we I think it's just having that confidence now and we, we have that, we have the evidence base to say, you know, if you're having red meat, you know, a couple of times a week and, and fish a couple of times a week amongst all these other plant foods for a healthy individual, that's absolutely fine. And one of the things is that I often get asked, um, is that, our, you know, are vegan diets 
healthy can they be healthy and it's like oh well I don't know because you've got this wide spectrum of different types of vegan diets and a wide spectrum of omnivorous diet it's it's about those the balance of the nutrients in the food group the balance of the nutrients over the week Mm -hmm. not whether it's vegan or omnivorous that's that's not really part of it but yeah in answer to your question it's it's about you know having meat a few a few times a week as opposed to, to every day and every meal yeah, I think that's a really um, it's a really great point that you touched upon and one that I wanted to bring up, actually. We really, at the moment, I feel like we all have a huge emphasis on labelling. We mm. always feel like we have to have a label. We have to label whether we're a vegan, you know, whether mm. we are a meat eater and a meat consumer, whether we're a pescatarian. And actually, I feel that, you know, any diet can be healthy if it's done in a balanced and well way. You mm. don't need to be labelled into a category to do that. Mm. Um, and I think there's a really important topic here as well. You know, there's been a there's been a massive increase in the last couple of years um, in vegans and people adopting more of a vegetarian diet. And mm. I, I do always believe we should be eating much more plant-based foods and reducing our meat. But I don't always feel that, you know, you have to be a vegan to be healthy mm. because actually you can have some very unhealthy vegan diets out there. Mm. Um, and you can have some very unhealthy meat diets out there. And it's all about how you adopt that diet in the correct way to making sure that you're balanced all of the main food groups out so but but with Mm. that as well what is you know there's a lot of things about the meat produces a lot of greenhouse gases but then we also know that certain vegan foods can also be quite detrimental to our planet so the large Mm. amount of water consumption it takes for the nuts to grow um Mm. and that's Mm. that's that's shown in the eat lancet and also in the blue dot report Mm. um you know what's your view view on that if people are saying i'm vegan and i'm obviously saving the planet and living very sustainably but then there's a bit of a counterbalance there yeah and and i think first of all just to to take a a step back and look at what we mean by food sustainability greenhouse gas emissions they are just one measurement of Mm. you know one measure of how to measure the health of the planet and how sustainable things are and put simply i would i kind of compare you know, the sustainability of the planet as a measurement is to like measuring the health of a person. So with a person, we've got blood pressure, we've got C-reactive protein, we've got weight, we've got BMI. Those are all indicators. Um, And you can't just look at someone's blood pressure or heart rate or weight to see how healthy they are. You have to look at the whole arrangement of them all. Mm -hmm. And and I believe that with a sustainable planet and a sustainable diet, you can't just look at greenhouse gas emissions. You have to look at how um, yeah, how water in the water pr- footprint, you have to look at all the ethical things, the land use, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the um, consequence and the biodiversity of the land, uh, the finance of the country. And with, with, with our, our food being a global trade, um, where we as a, as a richer nation have moved towards more plant-based and, and vegan foods, in some respects, that's brilliant because they're healthful, they have low greenhouse gas emissions, but we don't fully, we're only beginning to fully understand what detrimental impact it could have on those countries that are poorer, that have farmers that are much more susceptible to the pressures of supermarkets or global supply chains. So, for example, I was listening to a Times journalist that was reporting on these these avocado farms and mm. how they're like gold and there are people being murdered out there over these you know the wars drug over them drug cartels from the from the cocaine dealers yeah. to the avocado uh, farmers would you believe absolutely and and the same and the same thing with the nuts as well you know um it could be it could be grown in a drought drought uh, a water thirsty country and therefore we're importing drought from another country to our country mm. so i'm not saying we shouldn't do it. What, what, what needs to be is that we need to have um, the infrastructure that's ethical and fair um, and equitable and, and can protect the livelihoods of other people um, whilst, you know, trading our, our food products. And that's a huge thing. And I don't have an answer for it. But mm. yeah, it's, it's something to consider. What I would say, <laughs> I do have a favourite company. I don't know if we're allowed to say. Yeah, Dodds. <laughs> and we got our first, managed to get our first food order in the other day. And what I loved about it is that they're great with their peas you know they have all different peas and lentils we've got british chickpeas Mm. um and we've got all these wonderful sort of pulses and beans now that we can grow here and um 
making to flavour some snacks and, and using our cooking. And they're, they're just a really good alternative. So, Can you say yeah. who they were again? I don't know. Oh, um, they're called Hod Hodmadods. Hodmadods, what a great name. Yeah. Um, I use Oddbox, which actually ah. um, rescues surplus fruit from all British farmers in the country. All the ones that are a bit wonky that would get chucked away. Ah, um, they yes. They rescue them all and you can order amazing fruit and veg boxes from them. So Why not? Absolutely. They would, yeah, they would. <laughs> they're delicious. I don't, it's so they would have been chucked out so they're saving all this fantastic <laughs> fruit and veg yeah which is amazing okay so that's a that's a very good point you know it's kind of saying just be really aware because i know that you know soya soy as well is is one mm. of the big parts of deforestation and avocados and nuts i'm not saying these aren't mm. great amazing food sources it's just saying there's a there's a larger question here about sustainability it's not just putting on yes. protein and dairy yeah and actually you know telling everybody there's eating meat and dairy that they're not saving the planet we all mm. that everything has a part to play mm. and i think that's just really important to just to, to stress and can i just add one thing as well that, that that's quite close to my heart is yeah. it's that the british food and farming system in comparison to the rest of the world is in terms of environmental and animal welfare standards compared to the rest of the world this is a caveat is actually mm. pretty good mm. and so you know even our basic animal welfare systems uh, animal welfare standards are much higher than those in other countries and and and, and it's actually quite expensive um, to have organic and high welfare meats but the, at the moment the farmers are doing it so the worry is that if as, as meat eaters or people that choose to eat meat and dairy if we don't choose those higher welfare standards or buy into those sort of Good, better production regimes those farmers will just go out of business and we could just get stuck with dreadful imports that are really really um bad like so chicken that I keep yeah chlorinated chicken but also you know the way that they're farmed slaughtered mm. you know it's it's, uh, it's everything antibiotics yes. um safety ev everything you know if you think the, the animal you know um livestock production's horrendous here compared to other parts of the world you know it's 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 okay yeah so yeah and actually i think something that's really just to have a positive thing on this mm. something that's been really lovely this year which you know that sentence hasn't been said much um those two words put together lovely <laughs> um but putting caveat in People have been, I th I feel that people have been eating much more sustainably because they've been going to their butcher, mm. they've been going to their fishmongers, they've been growing their own food at home, mm. a lot of people that I know, and really got into gardening or mm. getting their allotments because they've had more time. Yeah. Um, and they've actually had more time to think about, you know, actually I might go in this week, treat myself on a Sunday roast to go and get my meat from my butcher or I yeah. want to go and... Um, get something from my fishmonger or I'm going to go and spend my Saturday gardening and planting you know herbs and yeah. vegetables and I think a large part of sustainability and a large part of eating healthily goes into planning and preparation mm. and that's a really big emphasis here a lot of people think well I just want to go and eat sustainably and live sustainably but that does it does take it does require a little bit of thought process and a little bit of planning mm. so it's even things like where are you going to go and buy it so having a look locally which I think a lot of us are just attracted now to supermarkets we kind of mm. have five top supermarkets and that's where we kind of think that we're going to go and get all of our food but actually there's so much more variety in a lot of places mm. um, and how I think also storing plays a huge part in you know how you know how are you going to store it you're going to store it so it lasts longer mm. can you freeze things can you batch cook and freeze things mm. so you're not chucking things away mm. um you know, i that... would completely agree i mean people say oh how do you eat sustainably and i i, I would completely agree with you sarah it, it's pla it's planning planning yeah. because you know if you're cooking with pulses and grains and things like that you need you know you need to get them in their packets not that you know if you don't want to use tins you have to get them in packets so you have yeah. to soak them the night before mm -hmm. and then you might need to get the slow cooker on and cook it all and put the slow cooker on in the morning and then you need to batch cook it like you said so that you're not using your oven every day yeah. um and and then and planning means that you you prevent food waste because people always say well how, how do i how do i don't prevent food waste well things get chucked away because thought hasn't been put into it the day before yes and I don't know about you but again you know we we especially when I used to live in London and on my own I, I just used to come home from work go to the supermarket get what I needed and cook it and then whatever but now it's about having to really plan ahead which mm. it's it's a bit yeah it, 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 it it's like everything actually in nutrition and, and dietetics it's 
it's being motivated, having a goal and turning it into a, a daily habit That's rather than just is. a... Yeah. It's, it's making it into a lifestyle. That a lifestyle. Like, and I think the thing is, people actually think it can take a really long time to do all of these things. But actually, mm. once you've done it once or twice and it's part of your routine, you know, I actually had one of my neighbours the other day who uh, I, d- I did an ebook called The Great British Veg Out. And he said, yeah. actually, I had, you know, five of my vegetables in there. All I did was put them all in a roasting tray and then I popped in the salmon. I did a workout on the yeah. 30 minutes. And he was like, yeah. it was great. I actually managed to do so many things. I ate really well and I had my lunch for the next day. And I didn't think it was going to be that quick and easy. And it's about, you know, prioritizing a small amount of time to say, what am I going to do? And then actually, yeah. once you become comfortable with it, because, you know, cooking, I think maybe for you and I might come naturally. So mm. it doesn't feel stressful, but it can feel really stressful for a lot of people. They just yeah. don't enjoy it. So it's making it not... Making it easy as well. Exactly. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there as well. I think with, with cooking sustainably, it's, it's having your key, key ingredients, like your, your herbs, your smoked paprika, your garlic granules, onion granules, mm cumin coriander all of having that in the cupboard yeah. so that whatever vegetables you get whatever you have you <laughs> chuck it in delicious. the tin yeah yeah and and slow cook it I th- i'm a real fan of cooking food slowly yeah. and lots of it yeah. so that the flavors enrich and then you you can pretty you can pretty much if you can curry something or ragoo it yeah put it in the stir fry that's that's Make half the job soup. done you don't yeah. have to always go out and buy loads of organic meat or buy the no, most expensive you fashionable don't. vegan whatever it's yeah. it's the market it's, it's classic yeah, yeah so do you know what that brings me really nice onto food waste because mm. after as we're talking about this because yeah i mean people might be surprised to hear that in the uk we waste 7.1 million tons of food every mm. single year and actually the blue dots say um that 60 of this is avoidable now that's mm. over half and I think that's huge mm. and the, and a large part of that is actually fruit and vegetables and mm. salad so it's it's more towards the plant-based foods that we're talking about mm. you know could you shed some light on why is food waste you know so bad for the environment because well, I think we know it but why, why yeah 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 well um I, I suppose at the end of the day if it well there's there's, there's a couple of things so firstly you may or may not be in an area where food is is collected and and composted. So when you put that food waste in the bin, that's weight and that has to go to a truck and that weight has to be carried there. So that's associated with carbon emissions. And then it essentially just gets dumped. Um, And if it's not dealt with properly, then that obviously releases greenhouse gas emission equivalents. So that has a a toxic effect two two ways. It potentially has a toxic effect on the local environment as well as the emissions from it. And the other thing is that the reason, you know, taking a step back as well, we waste food because it's made very, very cheaply. Mm. And actually when we throw away food, we're actually throwing away money. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's it, it and it's, it's you know if you are lucky enough to have um, a council that does manage it or compost it or deal deal with it, that that's going to take energy. That's going to take processing that requires natural fossil fuels to run that process as well. So it's like it's just being it's just something that's just being it basically sucks up natural resources. And uh, yeah, it's just it's just it's a curse on our environment, and it, it need not be like that. Um, what I would say to people is is kind of. I know it's really interesting because you said fruit and veg get chucked away a lot, but is 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 to almost do your own little mini order at home, see see what's going out, why, and what can you do to kind of intercept mm. that point where it goes in the bin. Mm-hmm. Um, could it be if you if you're not going to eat those apples by tomorrow, chop them up, stew them with a little bit of sugar or I don't know, a sweetener, <laughs> and you've got a compote, you can pop that in the freezer. Yeah. Or with like I said, with the vegetables, is you can you, you can just quickly fry them up with some spices and again put that in the freezer bring them out put them in a soup for later so it's it's having sort of tactics there to sort of use them exactly before going in the bin even things like herbs people and then you Mm. know ginger and um and things like chili people didn't realize that you could freeze them and, and you can mm. and they're great to pop into soups and stews yeah. and that kind that's of thing. you're right there yeah once you know if they're if they're, if they're just frozen in chunks like you said if they're just going to go into something that's blended like a soup or a sauce then it's fine mm. okay you're not going to have roast tatties out of the potatoes but yeah you, you can still use them 
yeah and it's still delicious and i think yeah. you mentioned a really good point that it's not obviously saving the planet is a, is a, is one of the main things i'm talking about this and improving our health but also you can save money at the same time absolutely I think money is a huge draw you can save up to 470 pounds a year the blue mm. dot says on their report um mm. by just mm-hmm. avoiding food waste you know that's a that's a nice holiday yeah um, yeah and so i think that's also really important so not only are you saving money not only helping the environment you know and you know you're probably you know increasing parts of you know your diet because you're making sure you're getting those vegetables in instead of chucking them out yeah and and i think when i was growing up as well i'm because my mum used to i used to do cooking with my mum and cooking at home economics mm. and we used to be i don't know like you'd have a leak and you'd chop off a chunk of it at the beginning and then you chop we'd chop off the little sort of um looser bits at the end and you'd only use the prime prime stick it's mm. like that whole part is edible apart from the very bit at an end yeah. and and we've got to get rid of this snobbery um and and there are other things so it's quite we kind of call it root to tip eating mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm quite lucky i've invested in getting like a veg box and um i was quite interested the other day because they gave me um brussels sprout tops so you know with the brussels sprout plants you usually just get the sprouts don't you but they yeah. you can actually eat the top of the plant um and and it's, it's quite surprising how much of these plants we can eat but where they've been produced so cheaply and where they've been made to look so pretty on our shelves mm. we've actually forgotten the edibility of the rest of it yeah. so um well, sometimes like cauliflower leaves everyone just yeah. chops them off and yeah I put them in the bin and, and i made one of uh on our, again my great british feta i was like no roast the leaves in a little mm. bit more on salt and they're delicious and they're yeah. really crunchy to have on the side yeah but yeah forget yeah. about the whole the whole vegetable the whole vegetable can yeah. you give us any tips and tricks of any kind of dishes like that like how can you you know cook sustainably any good ones well go oh here sounds great but i don't actually know how to do off that. the top of my head there's there's, there's there's the classic classic meat one um which is called nose to tail eating so which is um rather than buying your the bits of your your chicken separately which is really expensive mm-hmm. is where you roast the whole carcass and so there you you've got the meat for the first day on the second day you can use the chicken wings you can just put a bit of barbecue sauce on them for the chicken wings mm-hmm. and then um once you've used all of that then you pop your carcass in a big slow cooker mm-hmm. um a slow cooker or a pan with a lid on and you just boil it to death and you produce uh, a wonderful stock right. from it, which is yeah. can be really, really nourishing because all the collagen comes out of the bones and all these wonderful mm-hmm. amino acids that are supposed to be really good for your immune system. And you can either make a chicken soup or you can make it make a basis for um, a uh, all sorts of Asian dishes as well. So, yeah, it's it's just about using everything really, and and it's the same with the vegetables as well. If you've got parts of the vegetables that aren't edible, um, you know, like. The, the odds and ends of the, the, the vegetables you can actually just sort of boil boil them up and then strain yeah. strain them off and you've got like little veggie juice you like can use for, for gravies and that yeah you know one thing i do is i probably shouldn't say but yeah. when <laughs> when we went into lockdown my steamer was left in the office and i couldn't get it because it was locked up um so i always mm-hmm. steam my veg for the reasons that you know it's it, you get more nutrients yeah. if you boil it you get a lot of nutrient losses but i still know yeah. a lot of people blanch their vegetables and boil their vegetables so you do get a lot of nutrient losses which is when you're cooking things like kale and broccoli the, the water always looks quite green green yeah and you've got the chlorophyll and everything in there and so what i used to do when i was like well i don't have a steamer so i'm just going to drink that water and it's actually really delicious so i was yep. not wasting the water but also i was like wow this is like yep. a new warm drink that i'm really enjoying now if that was bottled and in a trendy shop that would have cost you a fortune exactly your vitamin drink exactly because you're looking at a yeah a new green trendy water yeah. <laughs> my broccoli juice as i left my steamer i'll tell you little- true, I, I've, I've actually done that with a warm mug as well <laughs> a warm mug of cabbage juice it's, it's good it makes you feel good <laughs> it really does and i literally wasted nothing and i felt yeah, very happy with myself after that as well. um i think that's a you know i think that's a really important thing to, to talk about because i think food waste is a large part of sustainable eating and we yeah. do we do waste a, a lot of um a lot of food so just going back to if we are eating a bit more um plant-based which is what we're advised and not just sustainably for our health as well you know we do know that mm. there's, you know looking at the data and the research that the more plant-based foods that you eat and the diverse the diversity of that actually we have better health outcomes all around um but there will be a lot of people listening to this saying well you know 
as I reduce my meat and, and my and my dairy, you know, do I compromise certain nutrients such as iodine, you know, which we know mm. is, is largely from dairy. And actually, there was a, a fantastic uh, speaker I was watching the other week who was talking about, you know, there's a you, we're, we're lower in iodine because a lot of people are cutting out dairy. Yeah. Um, B12, which we know is is predominantly mm. only in, in animal sources, zinc and selenium, calcium, which you mentioned as well. From you know, a lot mm. of people thinking well, you can only get calcium from dairy predominantly and iron obviously linked to red meat so you know can you talk about some of these kind of key nutrients and actually how can we be more aware that we're actually making sure we're not going to be deficient Mm. in in these yeah it's interesting you mentioned iodine um absolutely um i mean one of the one of the key sources is actually dairy milk which we used to usually consume quite a lot of in in, in our country but but the fortification of, of iodine in many plant plant milks is, is quite good now so that's I, a good thing to put actually sorry i'm not going to interrupt you but a lot of people mm. then want to go organic and i just want to say organic and um, doesn't mm. normally won't have any food fortification as you said it normally yes. won't have iodine so a lot of people will have organic foods and actually if you're going purely organic nothing will be fortified with, with yes. what we're talking about so yeah it loses all its organic fortification um, organic um accreditation you're absolutely yeah. right and so so yeah absolutely yeah and i think this is this just highlights the um, tensions, shall we say, or the complexity mm. of, of having a, a sustainable diet. You know, mm. if I go organic with my plant milks, that might be better for the environment. But then am I compromising myself nutritionally? Mm. But if you're that aware, then you'll be able to do the dance around it to ensure that you are getting the right yes. iodine. And I suppose the message is there's you normally have milk on your cereal, which has iodine, and you do need to do your straight swap to an iodine fortified milk. But if you're just ha- having a general drink, and it's then it needs to be treated as just a plant drink. Um, so it's it's in your mind, it's separating out plant milk and plant drink, mm-hmm. and and then having two different sort of functions and roles. So um, oh, just a really simple example would be having a fortif- uh, fortified plant milk on your cereal but if you're making a cheese sauce or vegan cheese sauce you can use the plant drink and and because you're, you're not you're only having cheese sauce probably once or twice a week as a meal mm. whereas you're having your plant milk on your cereal every day or in your tea and coffee mm. so it's it's kind of untangling that a little bit yeah. um but but i think yes I, iodine is, is something um the other thing that you're talking about was was sort of zinc and selenium and all those those, those kind of minerals now mm. um there has been a bit of a hoo-ha about phytates um and and that they're like anti-nutrients and they can bind with the gut but but a lot of vegans and, and vegan cooking does involve um things which you do to prep it prep the foods in such a way that they become more bioavailable so like the soaking and the long cooking and the sprouting and things like that so if you're if you're not if you're not having a fast food vegan diet, you're, you're probably going to be okay with those micronutrients if you're cooking it in quite a traditional way. That's yeah. that's my sort of supposition on that. And things like calcium and iron, um, I think it is a bit old school thinking that you can only get them from from milk and meat. You you can get a lovely wide range of plant based foods, and if you're eating all the variety of fruits and vegetables and grains and things like that, that is really good for gut health, gut, gut microbiota, mm-hmm. and that increases how you basically absorb and metabolize those foods and, and use them in your body. So you have that kind of, I wouldn't say upregulation, I think that's a bit strong, but your body's really efficient at, at using them. Yes. And what about iron as well? Because obviously there's hem iron and non-hem iron. So hem iron is obviously from meat sources and it has mm. a, it's, it's more bioavailable to our bodies. Yeah. Um, whereas non-hem iron is from plant-based sources. Could you kind of give a yeah. overview about this? So definitely, I think um, for, for women and for babies um, who have, you know, really important high iron needs, we have to be really careful with that. And, it, and I think it's really about the same message that I give to people on plant-based diets. You just have to make every meal pack a punch Mm. um and so that would really mean breakfast lunch and evening meal having a lots lots of variety of 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 proteins and different plant foods that might be rich in iron you know for example um apricots are really rich in iron and certain greens and all those kinds of foods as well so um things like um dried fruit are as well so it's just making sure that you at least have a couple of different iron rich foods at breakfast lunch and evening meal with the vitamin c containing foods which you naturally have anyway and that that will bring your your you that should maintain um good iron levels um but i suppose touch upon why because obviously we both know why vitamin c should be had with um non-hem iron sources but could you just give an overview of why it's more bioavailable obviously 
for people yeah. that don't know? Yeah, well, I suppose vit- you're testing my biochemistry here. But vitamin <laughs> C is is basically uh, a molecule that that that, that works with. Um, non-heme iron in the body and it basically enhances your your absorption of it basically so um they're called synergistic nutrients um and you know you need you you need one without the other and and you need a a good iron up uptake because that's what binds with oxygen and keeps us feeling well and healthy Mm -hmm. um and i think they're probably you know you just got to be super super careful with particular age groups especially with babies or 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 ladies that are menstruating have a lot of iron losses so yes but there is just having you know like lemon on top of your spinach and you know maybe including some fruits within your yeah yeah absolutely you don't have to go overboard you don't need Mm -hmm. to take vitamin c supplements i think the wonderful thing about fruit fruit and vegetables is that they have these vitamin and minerals in the right amounts within their cellular structures um and and we tend to do this intuitively don't we We tend Mm -hmm. to have like oh i don't know tofu with vegetables and noodles and things like that Mm. so um, but what, but one one thing actually that I, that, that I think um, people on a strict plant based diet need to be aware of is, is omega three actually, um, yes. and actually no actually everyone does. Yeah. <laughs> Hold that this back, my, we all this do. This is my specialist topic. So I'm so pleased you mentioned. Oh no! You can tell me about it. I feel like my listeners are like, here she goes again on the omega three run. But no, I'm going to uh, let you you start. Yeah, and I, I think this is this is quite an interesting one because. As, as, as a country we we all need much more of this this particular the fat um and uh for people that eat fish you know you need to have at least a couple of portions of fish one a week one of which is oily at least to, to get that that omega-3 that's that's in that readily available form but if you're on a strict um, plant-based diet you have to rely on something called ala and aluminic acid and um ultimately even if you're having foods that have ala in Mm-hmm. so chia seed hemp seed um oh, walnuts all that kind of stuff you need to make sure that you don't have too much um omega-6 which are found in pumpkin seeds and um other sunflower Palm seeds oils. and basically and processed foods yeah because you you need to have that imagine you've got these two fats on the seesaw you need to have them sort of in balance so that you you, you metabolize the ala to omega-3 properly uh, you've, I've probably done a really bad summary, so if you want to paraphrase that for me. <laughs> Really good summary. It's, it's a really important topic, and it and I think a lot of people don't realise that our ratio is completely out of balance. Yeah. Omega six to omega three. Yeah. We're at a ratio, I think, now of seventeen to one, seventeen mm. in favour of omega six, and the conversion rate. Even though you did rightly point out that ALA, that's the shorter chain omega three, mm. but actually the conversion rate is so limited yes. that even if you're consuming a large amount of chia seeds and walnuts, you know we still will not be getting the conversion rate that mm. we need to make the um. DHA and EPA which are the longer chain omega-3s that we really need that are important for all different areas such as our eye health to you know our mm. brain health are the main kind of structure within our within our within our brain cells anti-inflammatory properties that we know about very much as well um and so how we why we say have one I actually say two, at least two portions I know that's not public health guidelines mm. but I always say two portions of oily fish a week mm. um is to get these longer chain omega-3s because having these shorter chains from the plant-based food sources you know that the conversion rate isn't efficient enough to actually give us enough epa and dha that we need mm. so that really brings very interesting actually mm. to like sustainable fishing which you know and, and for me i think this is the hardest part because i think I, yes. I live pretty sustainably i try to do everything i can and i'm quite aware of it especially from studying a lot about this in the last couple of years but the one thing i really 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 struggle with <laughs> is not having oily fish and i Mm. do try to have sustainable fish sources um Mm. as much as possible um whenever i can but i know that that's not always going to be affordable and available to everyone and this is where a really big ethical debate comes in you know we do know that we're overfishing and we do know that that's you know not great for our environment either Mm. and we will be also because we're overfishing we are reducing our fish consumption for years to come because mm. we won't be producing as much as we as we can and we're not with the biodiversity isn't there of 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 the you know of of producing more fish because we're eating more than we're than, than they're making and so i think what's your view on that you know how because for me it's a very hard one i always say food first and not supplements and so when people just cut out fish you know i always think yeah. that that's an ethical choice but for from a health side i always do like 
people to try and consume if they if they can and it's not against their kind of ethical views to consume two portions of oily fish a week but then again talking about sustainability it's such a hard one isn't it it's very very tough i found when i was studying sustainability in fact now aquaculture um, and and, you know global fish stocks all that kind of thing the the hardest thing to get my head around the hardest thing because it's so complex it's it's it's, in a way it's quite straightforward you know meat and dairy too much greenhouse gas emissions reduce consumption change the way we produce it bob's your uncle it's great but with fish it's so hard so because it is it is, I think that's the one thing that hasn't changed since the 90s is the benefits of omega-3 and the oily fish. Um, and I, I find it quite hard. I think there are some broad broad principles. So what I would sort of say is, firstly, um, tr- what we try to do is, yes, try and have a couple of portions of oily fish a week if you choose to eat fish, but try and choose away from the top five because the top five tend to put pressure pressure on that certain fish or fish farm. So the common ones are salmon, cod, um, mackerel, prawns, and tuna. I think it was the last time I saw. Okay, so, so we've only got two oily fish in there because the other three aren't oily. So mm. let's disregard them. Yeah. Um, so it's the mackerel and the salmon that are the two oily yeah. ones in there. Okay. So my personally, my choice is to try and go for trout. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the salmon and trout tend to be farmed. Now, these have their own pressures on the um, of, of aquaculture pressure. So lots of like toxicity going to um you know the natural environment where they're in the pens there's lots of like mm. uh, you know discard associated with them and the injections of colors to make them yeah. pink because they're not oh yeah it's very sad. yeah so what i tend to do is i <laughs> i have trout instead of salmon and I've, i i've kind of spoke to my the fishmonger and i've i've spoken to the technical manager there and i i've just go to the same place and i get my trout once a week from this place i um i don't tend to go for anything else because i've got a little six-year-old and she she didn't have a good time with mackerel because the bones got stuck in her teeth so oh, that's what we do um yeah. and then we have msc certified sort of fish fingers and, and cod every now and again mm-hmm. but the other thing you can do if you've got a nice uh, a wider palate is is really go for the, the smaller fish or so the fish Sardine. that are much lower down the fit yeah food chain Sardines things that w- absolutely things that would be considered bycatch that they're brilliant yeah. um so you, you can do that as well um and and also if you are buying fish fish products you can sort of see if they're msc certified um, again, that has come, come under, you know, criticism, but at the moment it's it's one of the best things you can do at point of sale if you're looking for a quick, a quick sustainable choice. And I just, I do find it such a, you know, a political debate in the sense that, you know, these are obviously what we're, we're, we're saying opt for, but again, then it's the affordability for a lot of people. Yeah. I feel yeah. that, you know, with people that can't maybe afford these sources, then just feel that, well, what are they meant to do? Are they meant not to eat fish? And I just feel that there's a whole political side to it, isn't it? So there's never really a simple answer when it comes to Yeah, the affordability of sustainable diets is something that we, we do need to look at. I think the you, you can do, do yeah. To, to allow everybody to have a fair choice in eating sustainably. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So that takes me really nicely, actually, onto something that actually I think I'm going to learn a bit about um, quite a lot is sustainable and ethical food labelling. You know, who to trust mm. and who not to trust because environment and ethical labels vary a lot in their criteria mm. and focus and so different labels may measure different things such as you know your labor standards to animal waif- animal welfare and one of my first ever talks i did about 10 years ago was with the soil association mm. and i think that was one of my first introductions into you know organic certification and what they had to go through to be you know soil association um recognized and registered and so for anyone who's you know wanting to to listen and and learn a little bit more about making these sustainable food choices could you give us a bit of a background about ethical food labeling and what we should and shouldn't trust yeah okay so what i'll do is i'll just yeah so basically um all, all farms have these certain sort of standards that they need to stick to by uk law and or eu law although that's changing um and that that might mean um basic stuff in terms of animal welfare um, the amount of pesticides they use and, and sort of basic production methods. Um, and at, at the moment, what we have is a certification gives um, is where an external body comes in, audits it and gives their sort of stamp of approval. So a really common one would be the red tractor, which is really it's it's to do with traceability. Mm-hmm. And that that was um, re- the profile was really raised after. I don't know if you remember the horse meat scandal. 
Yes, I do. Yeah. So they came in and said, the great thing about us is that when you see our logo or all the meat that you buy, you know that that's gone through a very strict um, um, sort of accountability process. So we know from farm to fork that it's, it is what it is. It says what it is. <sighs> However, it's got, that doesn't have any, anything, any animals or livestock produced under those conditions do not have any enhanced animal welfare standards. So personally, for me, I, I don't find it's enough. They say, oh, we meet the five found you know the five freedoms of welfare but they're they're pretty bought bad it's mm. like uh, you're given food and water when you want it mm. and you've get you're given a shelter it's really bad so what the rspca have done is they now have their rspca assured logo and that basically has it's supposed to give enhanced animal welfare um so a, a bit more space um and 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 um, a bit more um of a natural environment for the animals to actually play and thrive um again that's come under criticism but there we go we've got that but then you to add a little bit of confusion to that just because something's got the animal welfare logo on from the rspca it doesn't mean to say that it's produced organically or produced to high environmental standards so there you have the organic logo and so the organic logo although i used to years ago think it was just about you know, uh, environmentally friendly farming, it actually does include animal welfare standards as well, enhanced ones as well. Mm-hmm. So it, that's quite a good catch-all label to go for. Now, the the the, the only worry with that is that um, farmers or food companies do have to pay a premium for those local logos. So sometimes the criticism is is that small and local small and local stuff that you might get the farm from the farmers' market can't make these claims because they can't afford them. Yeah um so but that that that's just a basic basic overview and there was one thing oh yes and then you've got as well you've got your supermarkets saying their own things like a corn-fed chicken which doesn't mean anything no. or happy ha- happy cow or whatever so really they want to bring in eggs here actually <laughs> can we talk about the problems with free free range eggs and actually what does that mean are they yeah, running free... around in a field having a great yes. time no they're not <laughs> So free range isn't a legally defined term. Yes. So um, I again, that's where it's nice to have those. You know, you might have a, a carton saying free range egg and, and, and like a really like posh picture of it or some happy farmer or whatever. But you you don't really know actually. Um, and and so sometimes it is useful to have those logos. Um, free organic. You know, if it says organic, they've had a better life, or if they've got the freedom food mark on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes. There's, there's so many different eggs and so many different labelling systems. You can check. You can look at the egg and see because they'll, they'll be stamped to see not mm. one or two to see whether it's a, a barn egg or whatever. But so can we go through those organisations again of who to trust? So yes, or, and organic. So you've got the Organic Growers Association. So you've got one of those. Organic Farmer and Grower Association, mm-hmm. Soil Association, Organic. Um, or if it's just written organic, then they would need to confine to EU standards. So got organic mm-hmm. then you've got freed um no rspca assured mm-hmm. used to be freedom food yeah and more for standards and then you've just got red tractor that's just to say that's been produced in the uk ultimately okay. so very different yeah very different and i think i mean i might be getting this wrong but did MS also launch something about their fish um the fish that they sell like fishing sustainably and they actually only yes. sell fish that has certain regulations and standards yes so this is this is where our, each food company like MS or tesco or whatever they will have their own set of set of standards and have their own agreements with their own suppliers mm. and you know what it's, it's difficult because unless you do the homework and ask them as i did with my my child they could have there could be great variation in them and, and so that's where the logos that is the strength of the logos as you know what you're getting but you really just literally have to rely on what the supermarket is telling you um and you that's know a really good point there actually because this is just brought something to mind and i don't want to say that i shop on whole foods because i actually don't normally shop on whole foods mm. but at one off chance i went in i was in town and i thought oh i'm gonna get some fish tonight and i always like to get fish from a fish counter um, but mostly a fishmonger but it was very late and I just thought well this is late it's open I'll run in and get something again whole foods again it's not what everyone goes for because it's so expensive mm. however went in asked um them if they're well I guess I just presumed actually that their fish was wild um and just said you know is this organic and wild and you know x y and z and they were like no everything we sell here is farmed 
And it's just mm. this immediate, you know, because yeah. Whole Foods have this brand and because it's, you know, yeah. more expensive than anything else and because it's such a high standard um, and, you, you know, they have this, you, on the outside you think everything's organic and fresh and everything's mm. done sustainably. Not one thing on their on their um, fish counter was sustainable or wild, and I thought that's the biggest con because you're charging double the price yeah. than probably other fish counters and other supermarket yeah. markets for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and 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 it doesn't help the industry, does it? Because then you get all these sort of uncovers and and things like that, and conspiracies, mm. and and then people just think, oh, what 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 is what is the point in buying organic or biodynamic or supporting my local farmers market? What's the point? You know, it's been proven X, Y, or Z. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's getting the balance, isn't it? Really, and and not being af- not being afraid to ask whoever's serving you, yes. like you did. What's yes. going on? Yeah, well, I then didn't get it because I just thought, well, it's <laughs> yeah. the biggest con going. Yeah. Um, I think, oh, yeah, I just, I think I end up having plant-based, which is probably the 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 message of this whole podcast. Yeah. Is if, yeah. if in doubt, don't be yeah. afraid to, to choose the plant-based proteins yeah. and products. Lots of, lots of great plant-based proteins out there and products. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And is there, um, you know, before we kind of wrap up, is there anything that you would advise people to look at or read a little bit more into this if they want? Obviously, I'll give the links to your website and I'll put the Blue Dot Project and probably the Eat Lancet report. Mm. If people want to, you know, become science and, and have a little look a bit, a bit further and deeper, but is there anything that you would suggest to anybody listening of where they can learn more about sustainable diets? Um, yes. Uh, let's have a little thing. If I'm a from a sort of a technical point of view, if people want to do some in-depth reading, the Food Climate Research Network is um, a really good resource there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want more practical things, um, what you can do is there's a really interesting website called The Flexitarian. Mm-hmm. So that's got sort of um, low meat or meat-free meal recipes. Uh, I also really like uh, the Vegan Society, actually, if you want to have just, you know, because some meals are traditionally vegan anyway, but they've got some really nice recipes on and you can actually, um, you can see what kind of food groups you need to mix for maximum nutrition, but also they've got like a little carbon footprint counter next to it as well. And the, the BDA also have some low meat meals. So if you sort of Google bda low meat meals i'm sorry i don't have the website off the top of my head that oh, you've got fine. some, some of those as well um so yeah they're, they're they're pretty good um there's loads of um neutralis um my is it neutralicious or they've got some free loads of free webinars on um sustainable diets and plant-based e- eating as well I think it's neutralicious neutralicious oh fantastic well i'll have a look i think i've not heard of that so i'm definitely going to check that out but i'll have a look and what yeah. you just said i'll pop in the or my notes. my nutri web oh is. my nutri web yes i am on them all used, the time yes sorry it might have been neutralicious in its former life oh, so okay. i apologize to that well, tanya if I you're listening can... <laughs> <laughs> for anyone that's studying nutrition i or dietetics i think that's a really good resource but i think the yeah. other ones but the day-to-day people that just want to know actually how can i you know adopt more of a sustainable diet those previous websites that you game and simple steps and meals and the vegan yeah. society sound sound brilliant and i think it's about you know trying to take the pressure off yourself but just also widening the spectrum of your knowledge of how, what can you do maybe once a week to you know live more sustainably so maybe it's mm. just you know and it's all started from the last couple of years i guess from swapping the plastic bags and taking your own bags mm. to the supermarket and maybe you know reducing the plastic consumption of, of of water and getting a refillable one and i think we're all kind of on that on that track now and now it's just looking yeah. a little bit wider and what else can we do and such as you said food composting that's yeah. a great way to you know that could be one of your things this week to, to change mm-hmm. um as audit to, yeah audit yeah. what you're wasting and then take action exactly or making mm-hmm. sure that every meal that you cook this week we're going to try and reduce the waste of food that you make from that mill so you're going to try and reuse as many things as possible so it's not trying to do everything at once it's just about trying to introduce things maybe on a weekly monthly basis that start becoming a lifestyle and habit and actually over time you do start living more sustainably um Mm. as well as improving your health as well which i think yeah a large kind of caveat and that we want to point out it's not just about the what the planet's also about your well-being at the same time yeah 
absolutely and for anyone who wants to you know get in contact with you louise or follow you on instagram or know about your website could you just give them um a little bio yes so my instagram is at sustainable dietitian and uh, my website is sustainable dietitian.co.uk but dietitian spelt with a t so I've loads of people going, I can't find you. And it's because you're spelling dietitian with a C, but it's one of those quirks, isn't it? The American yeah. ways with a C. We've all got those quirks. <laughs> and I always love to end on a question. Yeah. Louise, what does be well mean to you? Oh, be well means everything. Eat, get enough food, get enough sleep, have enough fun. And um, yeah, just enjoy it while you've got it. Enjoy life while you've got it. <laughs> <laughs> great way to end the year i think everyone should take that advice <laughs> thank you louise so much for coming on to live well be yeah, it's well. been a pleasure i really hope you enjoyed that podcast and this is the end of season four i will be back in the new year with season five and many more guests talking to you about their personal journeys within the health field and also again fantastic experts helping dispel the myths um, of the nutritional world in the meantime please do sign up to the great british veg out book it was very relevant to today's episode there's lots of diverse vegetarian and vegan um, dishes in there as well as some fish dishes too you can sign up via my website and you just download the pack and the ebook called the great british veg out If you did enjoy today's podcast and episode, please do leave a review and share with friends. And I wish you all the best of the rest of 2020. And we will be back in season five next year in 2021. Before you go, I have something new to tell you about. There's brand new bonus content waiting for you with every new guest I speak to. These are exclusively for my inner circle of Apple subscribers. To listen now, head to the Live Well, Be Well show page on Apple Podcasts, where you can activate your free trial and you can enjoy the podcast without adverts.